Good evening. How's it going? I hope you all had some good discussions. My name is Suzanne Walker, and if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, hi. Hi. Um, so I'm a born and raised Texan, and here in Texas, we like to introduce ourselves with a good, firm handshake, right? We look each other in the eyes and we put that hand out there and we get a good, strong impression of who it is that we're looking at. In the text tonight, I see a similar way of the Lord introducing himself. As he stretches out his hand in introduction and makes a strong impression as he sees his people, as he sees Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sees him, as he sees the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are going to see him. It's my hope tonight that you will be able to see the hand of God over all situations for the purpose of making himself known to all nations. Let's pray. God, you are good. We do lift your name high this evening. Lord, we ask you to come and make yourself known, to give us softened hearts, to give us open eyes to see what it is you want to reveal about yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear your voice as you speak tonight. This is your time. This is your stage. Um, this is your mouth. So I pray that you would bring clarity tonight to um, anything that you want to say, say it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's review a little bit. God's holiness. Last week, we saw that the Lord met Moses at the burning bush, and he told him, take your sandals off, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And because of the holiness of our God, we must respond with submission and humility and obey him. We heard that he makes himself known personally to Moses as Yahweh, the I am who I am. His message to the Israelites was clear. He heard their groaning. He remembered his promises. He saw his people and he knew them. Then we looked on as the Lord declared that it would take a strong hand, right? A strong hand, his hand, to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh. And we ended with the beautiful scene at the bottom of chapter 4 and where the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them, that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and they worshiped him. And rightly so, because our God is the only one who is worthy. He's the only one who's worthy to receive glory and honor and power and praise. 
because he is the one who created all things, and by his will, all things exist. So we're going to set the stage tonight. The title of this week is called Battle Lines, and we're going to see these battle lines drawn between two thrones. God enthroned and a little tiny throne of pharaohs, okay? As we work our way through the text tonight, we will see his strong hand outstretched over each portion of scripture, declaring who he is, making himself known. Again, his strong hand over Moses as he hears his very raw prayer and he responds with his very real promises. We will wrap up our time watching the Lord reveal his purposes for Moses, for the Israelites, and for the Egyptians, seeing all the while the hand of the Lord over all situations, making himself known to all nations. So, at the top of chapter 5, we see the meeting with Pharaoh. Later... Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. You see, with his outstretched hand, the Lord exalts himself over Israel, over Pharaoh, demanding the Pharaoh relinquish his power. Let my people go. Go. Pharaoh's response in verse 2 Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. See, Pharaoh had that teeny tiny throne we mentioned earlier. The Egyptians, as we will clearly see next week, they worshipped many gods. But Pharaoh sees himself as deity. He was the powerful ruler over the land, and he obviously used that power in wretched ways over the Israelites. He had set himself up as lord of the land and all who were in it. Thus... He set himself up against the strong hand of the Lord. And we hear this obstinate, self-reliant heartbeat. We hear it in his statement, I do not know the Lord, and even if I did, I will not obey him. I will not let the people You see, he does not have a proper fear of God. He will not obey him. In a right knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this right knowledge and fear of the Lord, it is key to obeying him. And Pharaoh doesn't have this. Well, what, what else does Pharaoh not have? Well, He doesn't have ultimate authority. 
He does not have ultimate power over the Israelites. We then hear this introduction as Moses and Aaron explain to Pharaoh that the Lord is the God of the Hebrew people, that he met with them and he wants them to go three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice lest he fall upon them with pestilence and the sword. That was a little interesting, right? This may strike us a little bit as odd. It did to me. I thought, would God really do that to his people, the pestilence, the sword? But maybe it's not there because he would, but maybe it's there because he could. He could do it. And so this... um, this pestilence and this sword, they show that the Lord is the one who has the ultimate power over the Israelites. It shows that the Lord is the one who has the rightful rule of his people, not Pharaoh. Not Pharaoh. And see, Pharaoh didn't have the right knowledge of the Lord. He didn't know him. And Pharaoh does not like that call to relinquish his power to the Lord. And battle lines are drawn. I'm going to read Pharaoh's response from the ESV translation for just verses 4 and 5. He says this. Why do you take the people away from their work? Back to your burdens. Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Rest is exactly why the Lord is drawing his people out and giving them the land that he promised to them. And rest is offered to you and I as well. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, And learn from me, because I am gentle and I am humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As the Lord called Pharaoh to relinquish any power he thought he had, he calls us to do the same thing. When you and I relinquish our control in submission to the Lord, we will find rest for our very souls. In our circumstances, though varied, in our cares and our burdens, most likely will not change immediately. But the rest for the soul, that comes from the knowledge that the Lord is in control. I'll say that again. The rest for our soul comes from knowing that the Lord is in control. There is the throne of God and there is Pharaoh's throne. They are not equal. They're not even in competition. The Lord could swallow him up at any minute. This is our God. This is the God of the Israelites. This is the God making himself known to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, and eventually trickling right on down to us. Now we look at Pharaoh and we see he starts to fight for some of that control, right? Let's look in verses 6 through 8. That same 
day. Can you hear the power play going on in there? That same day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as you did before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks that they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they'll be occupied with it, and they won't pay attention to those deceptive words heavier work. Sometimes one more thing piled on the top can take us from worship to worry in a heartbeat, right? Worship to worry in a heartbeat. And that's what we see happening here and throughout the rest of this chapter. Not only are the Israelites back to their burdens, But in this major power play, the Pharaoh is crashing down even harder, even heavier. And when we consider the Israelites' burdens, we can note that they are not just physical burdens, but they're mental burdens, anxieties, fears. It's all crashing down. Last section of chapter 5, we see after the Israelites' foremen are abused when the quota is not met, they head to Pharaoh. They head to Pharaoh. They cry out to the wrong ruler. So the Israelite foreman went in, this is verse 15, and they cried for help to Pharaoh. And they said, why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants. Yet they say, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it's your own people's fault. But he responded, you are slackers, slackers. That's why you're saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. Pharaoh, again, is obstinate in heart. He is refusing to have compassion. He's refusing to have any common decency. He's refusing to relinquish any power he may think he has. And he's refusing to listen to any faults of his own. You know, I can kind of see myself as a burdened Israelite, but I can also see myself as Pharaoh. Friend, is there any little smidgen of power you think you have over your own life? How about over a certain person in your life? Do you refuse compassion for a particular people? Do you find it a struggle to even respond with common decency 
to someone in particular? Are you refusing to relinquish any power you may be holding on to? Pick the right ruler. Pick the right ruler, friends. You don't make the right ruler. You're not a good ruler. I love you, but you're not. I'm not either. Because no human, hear me now, no human is the right ruler. The Lord is the right ruler. Choose you this day whom you will serve, for you cannot serve two masters. And the Israelites cried out to the wrong ruler. Let's read on. This is from verses 22 and 23. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. And it sounds a little harsh. See, a little distinction here is Moses did go to the right ruler, right? He went to the right ruler. And now he's there before the rightful ruler, and he is having some raw, real prayer before the Lord. We may tighten up. We may wince at some of the things he says, but it's raw and it's real. And that phrase, at all, man, can you relate? Those times when we don't see the Lord's involvement at all. Where is he? Rest assured that even when we cannot see him, he is there. He has a plan, and he knows exactly what he is doing. And he is not on his throne wringing out his hands in worry. He's just not doing that. No, he is stretching out his hand with all authority. He's got it all. He is using every bit of your burden. Every bit he is using. Look at this. Nothing is wasted under the hand of God. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For our momentary light affliction, temporary, okay? Think of it as temporary. Is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal glory. (laughs) Nothing is wasted in his hand. Nothing. Every bit of our burdens are used for an eternal weight of glory. The Lord responded to his raw prayer with merciful reminders of his promises. That's what we see here. That's 
what is happening. Moses has poured out this raw prayer before the Lord, and the Lord responds with his very real promises. And we need those promises. We need a good reminder of his promise concerning what God has done and what he will do. Why do we need them? Because his word keeps our hearts soft. His word keeps our hearts soft. We need the reminders of his words because, frankly, we're forgetful. Right? I'm pretty forgetful. In fact, I'm going to tell you a story of the night I knew I was going to marry my husband, Andrew. Okay, so Andrew and I, when we were dating, we celebrated every third of the month, okay? I know, it's a little sickening, right? So, yeah, we celebrated every third of the month. We'd either write a special letter to each other or we'd go on a special date. Well, around month nine or so, I forgot. I forgot it was the third. Well, apparently he did too. And when I remembered... I I didn't tell him I had forgotten. (laughs) So I made him feel a little bit guilty, right? I made it appear as though I had not forgotten. But as we hung out throughout the day, I was burning on the inside because I was lying. So I finally confessed my forgetfulness. And get back in there, tear, right? And I'll never forget his response. He pulled into this little church parking lot in my neighborhood, and he got out of the car, and I was like, what is happening? And he walked around to my door, and he opened the door, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, I forgive you. And I always will. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I always will. If that's not a promise, man, if that's not a picture of Christ, and I knew I was going to marry that man for the simple fact he was better than me, and he still is, but he was better than me, and your Savior, my Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth and all that is in it, he is better We tend to forget that he is better. We tend to want to blame him. Because we can't see what he's actually doing. We do not yet know him fully. I mean, our God is a big God. He is beyond what we can even grasp. Now, there are truths all throughout his word that we can latch on to, right? I mean, we're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now. But there are some things we won't fully know yet. But he uses even our forgetfulness to make himself known. And let's watch what happens at the top of chapter 6. When with an outstretched hand, the Lord gently reminds us of his very real promises. Read 
Let's read here in chapter 6, 1 through 6. And the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. Because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. Here's a reminder of who I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. When we see Lord in those small caps, we know that it's the personal name of God, which we learned last week was Yahweh. Good job. We also looked last week at John 8, 53 through 59, and saw how when Jesus was asked who he claimed to be, he declared, before Abraham was, I am. That was the same use of I am as it is in our text, because Jesus is Lord. Jesus wants to be known rightly and personally. We know him rightly as we acknowledge that he is the Lord and we are not. And we know him personally as we experience him in his word, in prayer, and in our lives. We see he is still continuing his covenant with his people and that his promises have not ceased. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I remembered my covenant. As discussed last week, when the text says remembered, it doesn't mean that he ever forgot, right? It means he's acting on it at this point in time. And since he was about to take action on his promise, he tells Moses, go remind my people. Go remind them of my promises. Verse 6. Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will. Are you ready? We're going to read through these. I will bring you out from forced labor. He's the deliverer. I will rescue you from slavery. He's the savior. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. He is redeemer and judge. I will take you as my own. It's personal. I will be your God, and you will know I am the Lord. I will bring you to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's faithful. I will give it to you. I am the Lord. He's provider. But what happens when Moses goes, he he goes and he tells the Israelites these very real promises from the Lord and all that he is, deliverer, savior, redeemer, faithful, provider, judge. What happens? It falls on deaf ears. Why? Because they're back to their burdens. They're tired. They're sore. They're under terrible tyranny. And they're working as hard as humanly possible and still being called slackers. All the physical and mental stress has them discouraged. 
And Moses becomes discouraged as well. You know, one of the things I appreciate about this genre, this historical narrative, is that, I mean, it follows their story and there's no fluffing it up, right? It says it like it was, like it happened. And I mean, here is this nation, the Israelites, that Moses is supposed to go deliver and they won't even listen to him. Not even the good stuff. Why? Oh, man. Let's watch real quick here. As Moses takes this back step, we hear this similar voice from last week as he begins to say, if the people of Israel won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh? I'm a man of faltering lips. He's just a man with faltering lips. Humanity at its finest, right? We can relate to Moses as well. Do we not quit sometimes before we've even begun? I do. Mentally, I will disqualify myself over and over again. The Lord hears me every single time. This is something Moses obviously struggled with a lot. And we're going to come right back to it in a minute. Because what we see here in the text are these bookends right? We see Moses saying, I'm insecure. I've got faltering lips. And then we see God speak to him and give him a direct order. Yeah, I know. Go do it anyway. Take that mouth that I gave you and you go and you do it anyway. He doesn't coddle him. He doesn't say, reach for the moon and you'll land among the stars, buddy. He doesn't say practice makes perfect either, right? He says, yeah, take the mouth I gave you and go do it anyway. He says it before this genealogy and after, right? (laughs) Does anyone, did you get to that part of the genealogy and you thought, now why is that here? Like, that's usually not like right error in the middle of like everything, right? It's oddly placed. Let that intrigue you, okay? Let that intrigue you because when we, especially when we see these bookends of the same similar kind of verses and we, we see something here in the middle, we need to go right there and find what's in the middle, okay? Let's dig up a little bit of treasure. Now, this portion of the genealogy is so good, I know you're probably like, what? A genealogy is good? But it is. It's so good. Um, that you, It can literally be its own standalone teaching. I know. I say that to say this. We don't have time for that. So I will point out a few gems along the way. And if you want to nerd out with me later, I'm your girl. Okay? I love genealogies for two reasons. One, because they show the Lord is faithful to sustain his people. Life goes on. And we see a list of names that are just people, some of them you never hear of again. They're people, right? People, and they had more people, and they had more people, and they lived mundane, ordinary lives, some of them, right? You see, the world does not revolve around any one person. It revolves according to God's plan, The other reason I like genealogies is because they simply show that God remembers his people, even those of us with a colorful record. 
All right, so I'm just going to kind of weed through these. So you may just want to listen. I'm not sure if you, you know, can find all my little picking outs. So verse 14, these are the heads of their father's families, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Now we know about Reuben if you were in Genesis with us, right? Um, He was the firstborn son of Jacob, who was also renamed by the Lord Israel. And he slept with his father's concubine. Mm, Colorful past, right? Then we see two other tribes of Israel, two other sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi. Now, these were the two sons that murdered all the men of Shechem back in Genesis 34. Here, it lists Simeon's sons. And on to verse 16 with the names of the sons of Levi. Okay, so that's where we're heading to next. Levi had Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. At this point, the genealogy takes us a little deeper into the family. And starting with Gershon in verse 17, the sons of Gershon, the sons of Kohath, Kohath. Okay, so Levi to Kohath. Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Verse 20. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, his aunt, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. So here we are given the names of that Levite man. And that Levite woman from Exodus 2, Jochebed conceived, bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. This Moses. As hard as it is to believe, (laughs) we got to leave some some valuable gems behind, okay? We're going to just note Why this is here in the middle of Moses' declaration of his inability to speak well and the charge for the Lord that the Lord gives him to go and do it anyway. Through this genealogy, what I think is an important takeaway is that God works through his people from generation to generation to generation, sustaining them by the power of his hand and making them a people of his own. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, to Levi, to Kohath, to Amram, to this Aaron, and this Moses. 400 years of building up and making his people ready for their deliverance. As much as Moses may have very well felt unequipped and inadequate for this charge from the Lord, Here in this genealogy, we see that feelings are not facts. We're not led by our feelings. We're led by the Lord. God's hand sustained his people that whole time. And God's hand ordains his people. Verse 26. It was this Aaron and this Moses whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of the land See, our lack of talent, our lack of ability in certain areas is there to keep us humble. 
It is not there to keep us discouraged. When we relinquish our power or our lack thereof to the mighty outstretched hand of the Lord, we come to him in our utter dependence upon his promises, and we remember we are his people, just people, for his purpose. We're his people for his purpose. And from where has the Lord brought you up from? Remember, you have been rescued from something. It's your story. The Exodus story is our story. It is your story in Christ. Remember what you've been called to. And we as believers are all called to this. We're called to give glory to the Lord and to know God and to make him known. Don't stay discouraged because you're lacking. I'm lacking. I lack like all the things. Okay? If it's a thing, I lack it. I don't have it. All right? So (laughs) I do have this, though. Y'all, I've got the only thing that actually matters. I've got Christ. I am his, and he is mine. And in John 10, 28, Jesus promises that once he has given us eternal life, no one can pluck us from his hand. No one. So in your weakness, accept the charge from your Lord and do it anyway. Chapter 7. The Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you, Moses, this Moses, like God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, this Aaron, your brother will be your prophet, and you must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let Israel go from this land. So, as for the made like God part, okay, this Moses is not becoming deity here. He's being commissioned. He's being ordained by the Lord, okay, so that he can demand of the Pharaoh to obey the word of God, so that he can pass judgment onto Pharaoh when he does not. And as we read on, the Lord is faithful to tell Moses once again, Pharaoh's going to disobey. Chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand in Egypt and I will bring out military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and I bring my Israelites out from among them. See, the Lord also reveals himself through great acts of judgment. We sometimes don't like uh, to look at that either. But he does. 
Let's remember that the Lord does all that he does to make himself known. Who's he wanting to introduce himself here to? You've said it. The Egyptians, right? To the Egyptians. I love this because even in his holiness and his power and his authority over all, he's wanting to be rightly known, not just to the Israelites, but to the Egyptians. And do you hear echoes of the promise from Genesis? Through you, Israel, all nations will be blessed. And what he referred to as signs and wonders with Moses and with the Israelites, he refers to as acts of judgment concerning the Egyptians. They will see how the Lord rules his people. What kind of God is he to his own? The Egyptians will see that the Lord blesses those who bless them and curses those who curse his people. This was part of the Abrahamic covenant we looked so closely at last year. And Pharaoh treated the Lord's people harshly. He made them slaves and caused their work to be difficult and hard and heavier. And as we hear the beat of his obstinate heart determined to go up against the Lord, it's as though we're watching concrete be poured out and settled and laid out in the sun. Pharaoh's mind is void of the fear of the Lord and his heart is set for hardening. I do not know him. I will not let them go. We will see and we will hear more about this hardening of Pharaoh's heart throughout the remainder of our time together. So you have time to marinate on it, to meditate on it, to think about it, okay? If you're not quite certain what it means that the Lord hardened his heart or that his heart was hardened, don't fret. Don't be afraid because we have nothing to fear. Remember, our God is better than we are. It shouldn't give us a nervous feeling. Oh, what are we going to find out about the Lord? It's all good. (laughs) It's all good, right? Because he's better. And he's always right. And he's always the deliverer. He's always the redeemer. He's always the judge. His attributes do not change like, and drop down the one he's going to use now and slide this one over. No, he is God. All attributes at all times. Get familiar with page 146, right? Or 147, right? All those attributes are all God at all times. We have nothing to fear. So approach those difficult texts, not with a chip on your shoulder, but in humility before the Lord and through prayer. And remember this. It's one of my favorites, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is Jesus talking. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. 
So now we've seen the hand of the Lord move over Pharaoh and demand that he relinquish his power. We saw the Lord respond to Moses in that raw prayer with his very real promises. Then we read the record of his people, which reminds us that God has a bigger plan for this Moses, this Aaron, this Suzanne, this Tori, this Amanda, this Caitlin, this Lori. He's got a bigger plan than we could ever imagine. And now we're nearing the end where we will watch the Lord stretch out his hand and reveal his purpose. Let's read the text. Chapter 7, 10 through 12. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers, magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down a staff. Each one became a serpent. It's a lot of serpents up in there, right? Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of creepy. I'm just going to say. I would not want to do that. But the cool part, right? Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. And God knew that that would happen. I don't know if Moses and Aaron knew that that would happen, but God knew, and I think he rather enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that must have been a really cool thing. You see, when the, you think the enemy, like, has you outnumbered, and when I think the enemy has me outnumbered, we need to remember we only need the one, right? We only need the one. We only need Jesus. Pick the right ruler. We don't make good rulers. Pick the right ruler. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Here we can contrast Pharaoh's rule his heavy hand upon the Israelites for the sake of their bondage compared to the Lord's rule, his hand upon the Israelites and in Egypt for the sake of all who may come to know him. We see Pharaoh's hand at work towards his own glory as his servants are burdened and beaten, whereas with Jesus... We see his hand at work as he set aside his own glory. And he was bruised for my iniquities and yours. Beaten in our place. And the burden of our sin was placed on him. And the ultimate act of love, sacrifice, and true lordship he reached out both hands on the cross and therein he bids us come come find your rest tonight i want to close with hebrews 3:15 today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart. Friends, tonight we saw the Lord stretch out his hand over all situations throughout this text. But did you hear him? Did you hear his voice tonight? 
Did the Lord make a strong impression upon your heart? Maybe you hear his voice telling you, relinquish any power you think you may have. Do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice offering you rest and relief from your burdens, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice calling you to raw, real prayer, do it. Do not harden your heart. Or maybe you hear his voice today speaking over you his very real promises. Don't harden your heart to them. For he has stretched out his hand to you with the purpose of making himself known rightly and personally. Take his hand. Take it. Let's pray. God, you are the rightful ruler. You are deliverer, redeemer, savior. You are faithful. You are the judge. You are who you are and you always be who you are. Nothing can change that. Stir in our hearts tonight, Lord. Throughout the rest of this study, soften us to your word, to your promises. Teach us to surrender to you. You are the only rightful ruler. We choose you. We pick you above all else. Help us to know you rightly and personally. In your name we pray, amen.